So this morning, I, uh, I have bounced between all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This has been something that's been on my mind and my heart, and I just uh, landed on Mark uh, for us this Sunday, but I will be bouncing between the other gospels, so just be aware, get your, your Bibles ready to do some flipping back and forth. No, not too much. Try and keep it, keep it at a minimum. Um, but today, we're going to talk about uh, the needing, uh, the feeding, and... Christ exceeding. And so um, I, uh, I was thinking through, and I, I know you keep hearing stories about uh, personal stories of this seminary journey of ours. Um, but I tell you, I heard years ago that, that the, real, uh, the real testament, the real testimony or the, the real uh, grit of, of a Christian life is a Christian life is one who has had experience walking with the Lord, who has uh, really had some of that experience where they've been stretched and grown and can actually speak from, uh, yeah, this really happened, and he was really there, and he saw us through it. Um, how many of you have ever had some sort of trip, some sort of thing that you were trying to plan for, even life in general as a whole, and you found yourself laying out on paper the financial plan? You've thought out all the possibilities that, okay, well, if this goes and this goes, then, okay, here's how we'll, this will be our audible plan over here. And this, but right here, this is the main one. And if we do this, we could stretch this amount of the, the, the funds this way. We could purchase this. We could do this and do this. And, and we suddenly lay it all out on paper. Well, I remember for us coming to seminary was something that, Marcy and I wrestled with quite a bit because when we put it on paper, it didn't make any sense at all. We couldn't figure out how would we actually make this work. Marcy had already had in her mind by the time the Lord really cut us loose from Texas and said, no, you're going. We had sold our house and by God's grace and timing and everything, we made a profit on our house because the housing market had just begun to climb in Texas pretty well. And so we're like, oh, Thank you, Lord. And we looked at it and we said, oh, look at it on paper now. Okay, so we've got maybe two years, maybe a year to two years. And Marcy will probably have to go back to work while I keep knocking out the degree. Well, two years came up. Marcy was thinking, oh, is this about that time? And guess what? We had a little surprise baby come along that the Lord blessed us with, our seminary souvenir. And... Uh, <laughs> Our projected plans shifted very quickly. And you can imagine the fear that rattled us in how do, we, how do we provide? We didn't factor in another mouth. And, and, you know, never mind all the baby stuff we had already given away because we were done, right? There were all these unforeseen realities that really had rocked us initially. And a friend of mine, I remember before we left Texas, when I was sharing about, I don't know how we're going to do this and this and this, he gave me this illustration by Tony Evans. And he said, you know, Tony Evans talked about the tickets. And he said, you know how when you're, you go to the fair when you're a kid and you went with your parents and as soon as you walked in, they would like hand you this load of tickets and they'd hand it to you and say, all right, just go on. He goes, no, they didn't. They would go up to, to the ride or to the place to eat and they would tear off just the tickets you needed for that and give them to you along the way. 
And he said, you know what? Don't worry. God's got tickets for you. He's going to give you those tickets along the way. And he's going to meet your need. And so through this whole journey, we've joked about the tickets. I mentioned magical airfare that we received, all these things. They were tickets. They were tickets, tickets along the way. And we've shared this. And now we've got people at seminary or Covenant Campus that go, we got tickets this week. And, uh, but we learned a big lesson about God's provision and how he works with such little things, how he can do things beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. The gospel account that we're going to look at today is not only about a miracle which occurred in just some lonely, desolate place, but about a miracle which can occur in every lonely and desolate place, including the place in which many of us find ourselves today. Perhaps it's in our relationships. It's in our community. It's in school. Society at large. And again, even circumstances like we as a church have before us. What I hope is that we learn from this account that when we finally see that our own human resources are limited and our faith is often faltering and our perspective, even on our best days, is still finite, Jesus is there to show us that he is more and he is the good shepherd of his sheep. I'm going to try and do away with the static. Okay. Hopefully that works. So with that, let's read this account in Mark's gospel. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you change that formulary? Thank you. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this account that reminds us of who you are and how vast your supply is for your people. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, to help us, help illuminate this text for us, help us to see its relevance for us today and every day. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.
So just to give a little context here, we have John the Baptist right before this, this account starts. John the Baptist is killed by Herod in a begrudging sort of plot by Herodias, Herod's wife, because John had voiced his disapproval about their marriage, mainly because Herodias was married to Herod's brother, Philip, and divorced him so she could marry Herod. So uh, John was a pretty forthright, outspoken guy and said, that's not good. That is not good at all. Um, well, Herod respected who John was and didn't, he knew also that to kill John would create a whole feud in the streets. And so he was trying to keep the calm. He had John arrested at one point. And so John is in prison, but Herodias was really not pleased. And so we all kind of know that eventually there was a party going on. John is beheaded. And so John's death marks a significant loss to those in the community who were following him and his teachings, who looked to him as a great leader. It marked the loss of a great leader in their time. And so now people start looking for where are signs from God coming from now? Where are we going to hear the message? And they start hearing about Jesus. Remember, prior to John's death, Jesus had sent the disciples out also to share what he had taught them and to also perform healings and miracles, casting out demons in various towns. The disciples are now at the point where they're coming back from their, their run, their, their sort of mission run outward. They're coming back, they're a little bit tired, they've been on the job, uh, doing all kinds of miraculous work, and uh, on their way, they also pick up John's body and they bury him. They come to Jesus and they share with him what has happened and all the things that they had done. And Jesus recognizes they need some rest. Matthew's account mentions that Jesus seems to need a moment to get away, even to grieve the loss of his cousin, to, to sort of process for a moment. They need a place to get away for just a moment and breathe. Recoup, if you will. Mark and Luke tell us that the disciples had been so busy that they hadn't had time to even eat yet that day. And so emotionally, physically, and in some ways, probably a little spiritually exhausted, they head off to this desolate place. And what we find is that Jesus uses this moment to stretch and grow, enlarge the faith of those in this desolate place and help secure their trust in him. So let's look at Mark. Actually, I want to show you guys real quick where we're talking about, because I thought this was a good little... Uh, there, in uh, Mark's account, he talks about... No, I'm sorry, Luke's account, they talk about Bethsaida. So if you can see Bethsaida up there, here's the Sea of Galilee. You can imagine they're, they're going to Bethsaida, and all of these folks are sort of running around to meet them, and there's the desolate side over to the, to the east. And so uh, just so you have a visual, what's going on here. They've crossed over, people have run around, and now they are meeting Jesus and the disciples there. And they thought, man, nobody's going to bother us over here. But that wasn't the case. So today I want to talk about these three things. Jesus and the needing, Jesus and the feeding, and Jesus is far exceeding. So first let's talk about Jesus and the needing. Jesus and the disciples were needing a break. We see this in verses 31 through 32. He knows we need a break because guess what? He was fully human and fully God. He is the incarnate one, right? 
And so he was actually experiencing the human experience in many ways. He understands God knows exhaustion. He knows weariness. He knows the weight of grief and loss. And so when he sees it among his disciples' faces and their bodies, he says, let's go. We need rest. Jesus, Son of God, needs rest. They need a place to get away. But the chasing crowds come and they're needing to be healed. They're needing to be fed. Jesus rightly recognizes that they were also needing a shepherd. John was gone. He had been the voice for many of them to come and declare the things that God was doing. And so we see that he looks out, he sees the great crowd, and he has compassion on them. Sorry, I'm going to set this here and see if that works. He saw a great crowd, had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, goes back to Moses' Moses's words in Numbers 27, where Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. We know who that one comes in and goes out for the congregation, for the people. It's Jesus, ultimately, right? The disciples were needing their theology, their Christology expanded and grown a little bit more here as well. And they need to be reminded of who Jesus really is. They know him. They've walked with him. They've seen him do amazing things. But listen, in verse 35, and when it grew late, and when it grew late, looking like this is kind of the end. It looks like this is too late in the game. We don't have the resources. As Porky Pig used to say, that's all, folks. But that's not what happens, all right? They realize in themselves they got no more to offer. They're spent. And even the resources they have could not accommodate the crowd. So they start saying, there's other places that aren't as desolate as this. Lord, let's tell them to go there. They've got all kinds of food. They've got all kinds of things going over there. Send the people away now. This is a good time to send them all away to those less desolate places. Because we can't help them here. This is like a desert. There's nothing we could give to satisfy them here right now. Am I the only one who's been tempted to reason this way before? To look at the landscape and sort of see the need and go, there's just no way. To, to see someone else's need and say, nah, I really just, I couldn't possibly help. That's a lot. That may require a whole lot more than I have. So then we look, and I think this is great because going to John's account, um, you have the, the addition of the little, the little sidebar of Philip and Andrew when they start looking out to the crowds. And it says in John's account that Philip turns to Jesus and he's like, Jesus kind of knows what's going on and it says Jesus does this to test him because Jesus knows what he's about to do. And so if you look in John's account, let's turn there real quick. 
John chapter 6, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And then Jesus gathers them up. Jesus tells them to gather them up. So what we see with Philip, Philip's kind of the, uh, he's the economist. He's like, ah, you know, the money we have, we could buy bread, but that's really not going to cut it. I mean, look how many people there are, Jesus. He does the, uh, not, a, not a wise investment here, Lord. It's better just send him on. Andrew, we think he almost gets it. There's a boy here. Maybe Andrew's thinking back to that, uh, that Cabernet moment and uh, the, the Cabernet experience at the wedding in Cana. And, uh, and he's remembering, oh yeah, Jesus made water, all that wine out of the water. Okay. He says, well, we got a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But then he goes a little bit further. But that's still not even enough, Lord. That's not even going to scratch the surface with this crowd. Okay, almost. Almost, Andrew. The disciples approach this scenario through a lens of economic scarcity. Jesus understood the economy of God's kingdom and offered the means for many to experience it on the earth in that moment. And he has that for us too. So let's move on to Jesus and the feeding. So we see first that Jesus looks out and he says, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Luke's account, though it's brief, adds a helpful detail here about what Jesus was teaching about. Luke, in Luke 9 says, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Remember, Jesus and the disciples tried to skate off to a desolate place to get rest. And where they, where they get over there, once they get over there, they find there's still much work to be done. It's not over yet. And Jesus, with his compassion, begins healing people. He starts looking out and he's preaching and teaching to them. He's teaching them about what? The kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is about God's rule and reign over his creation. It's about the inauguration of God's rule over everything all over again and the restoration of those things that have been broken. It's to remind us that, oh yes, you are God, you are sovereign. And that's exactly what Jesus was setting them up for. Let me teach you about the kingdom of God because it's so far bigger than any of our little kingdoms here that we try to fashion and form. And so he sets the stage for the miracle. He sets the stage to show them what God's kingdom is like, how, how expanding it is, how provisional it is, how beyond it is anything that we can think or imagine. Jesus is showing the restoring power of God's kingdom right before their eyes. So then we look 
a little further in 39, and he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, here's something that really started standing out to me, and uh, I haven't dug even far enough into commentaries, but I know some of the commentaries I've come across haven't really moved into this yet, but I'm sure they're out there. But have you heard the shepherd language that Jesus is using, that Mark's using right here? Sheep without a shepherd. He has them sit down on the green grass. Do you hear echoes of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. He makes me lie down in pastures of green grass. We move on a little further and they all had a morsel of fish and a piece of bread, right? Is that what Mark says in verse 42? No. When Jesus shows up, the good shepherd comes and he sits them down on the grass and he lifts up that bread and the fish, lifts it up and blesses it. Means he calls on the Lord with thanksgiving that Lord, thank you for this provision which you have given us. And then he shares it. He starts breaking it apart. And as he breaks it apart, they start distributing it into these groups of 50 and 100 that are sitting on the grass. Do they all get just a morsel? No. Mark tells us. And so do all the other gospel writers. And they all ate and were satisfied. The satisfaction of God and his provision is something we just can't even get in our minds sometimes. We think that we know what we need and what we, and if we could just obtain that with our own means, we'd be satisfied. And usually what happens is we get those things and then it never fully satisfied. We, we, we kind of go for something else and then, the, oh yeah, I'm terrible about this. I was for years, especially when I had some means to be able to do it. Technology was my, my crux, little gadgets. I'd be like, oh, this is, this is good. This would totally fix so many things. If I had this one little deal, I could do this with it, this with it. And I'd finally convince Marcy, I'd go buy it. And I kid you not, it'd probably be a week, two weeks later, there would be a little ad that would float up and I'd go, oh, on sale. I didn't know that one has the newer advanced. And I'd have to like wait probably a few more months to convince Marcy that that one actually was the one I needed. It didn't satisfy. Not in the way that I needed. Many of us can relate to that. But here, Mark tells us that when Jesus breaks the bread and distributes five loaves and two fish among 5,000 people, they were satisfied. They all ate their fill. Every one of them. And like the manna from Yahweh, the manna from God, he provides it in a wilderness. But here we see that Jesus himself is also setting the stage to let them understand he is the bread of life. He is the one that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? It's, it's a move and it's a motion. It's a reminder that God supplies the bread of himself, the bread of Christ for so many beyond, even those in this church. Globally, we have a body of brothers and sisters who take the Lord's Supper with us. 
beautiful. And one day we will all be brought back to a table together and have one huge banquet feast. And we will be fully and completely satisfied forever. So what we see here, that when Jesus comes, when Jesus is there, when Jesus provides, when Jesus is the one that we look to, he not only satisfies, but he exceeds all that we could possibly think or ask for. He exceeds human calculations. He exceeds the human resources that they had. And he exceeds the normative human experience and expectations that we all share. 5,000 people. No, wait, there's more. Matthew records at the very end of his account that this number only represented the men. He says not to mention the women and the children who were also there. So over 5,000 people were fed by Christ. How many more has he fed even today? You and I sit here today as living proof that it didn't just stop at the 5,000. Jesus has continued to provide and feed us. It exceeds to the point also that we read this beautiful Wonderful thing that I know I love. There were leftovers. So not only were there leftovers, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Why 12? Why 12? Do you remember who hadn't eaten yet that day? The disciples. There were enough leftover that they each got a basket full for themselves. When Jesus provides, it is not only to just provide for our own selves or just to provide for others. It's, it's, a, it's a feeding that, that feeds all those involved in doing that work. When we feed others, it's amazing to see what God feeds us, how he renews us and restores us back with our energy. He satisfies us in ways that we just couldn't even imagine. I imagine in some ways the disciples were a little concerned when they initially saw Jesus about to take their bread because they were hungry. And he knew, they probably knew the Lord's going to want to serve and want us to serve them first. I hope we get just a small crumb at this point. Twelve basketfuls. Twelve baskets full. Jesus, the good shepherd, reminds us, or actually King David reminds us, that with this good shepherd, the Lord who is our shepherd, in Psalm 23, 5, says, my cup overflows. With Jesus, our cups will overflow. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that it's not, it's not about internalizing and keeping it for ourselves I mentioned this before, how, how Scotty Smith, one of my professors, was talking about how it's, it's one thing to personalize the gospel, but we're never called to privatize it. The gospel is such 
that when it comes in, it has to flow out. If it truly is in and we are marinating in it, it can do nothing more than to just come out as an aroma from us. It feeds others the beautiful sweetness, goodness of the bread of life himself. It shares generously, joyfully, because so much has been satisfied in us by God himself. He's taken us beyond our limitations and shown us he is much more. And so the one challenge I would say comes a little bit later. The one place in which we all have to stop and pray when we read accounts like this and we're reminded of God's amazing abundance of provision is when we look a little further in John 14. And here we are again. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And he asked Philip a very pointed question that I believe he's asking us today. After Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, Jesus replies, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? That's a really direct question. To be walking with the Lord. Philip was one of the first disciples called in John's gospel we see. And here, all the way down in chapter 14, Philip still is missing some of who Jesus is. That connection with the kingdom. And so I would say as we are encouraged by the abundance of Christ and his presence and his life and the gospel, let us also let it be met with the caution that we could sit here and have known and been around Jesus so long and still not know him. Let that not be the case for us. And what's the test? What's the proof of that pudding? That it just moves, the gospel would move out of us. That Christ would flow out of us onto others. That Jesus would be seen in and through us in the way that we go about our days that the gospel would be something that people just, just know, draws them in and anchors them with hope and joy. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've provided even this account. Lord, to remind us that your resources far exceed our own, that, that Lord, where we are limited, you are not. And Lord, when we feel that the hour is late, when we feel that we have nothing left to offer, that there's no way we could offer anyone anything at this point, Lord, we pray that we would offer you, that we would remember that you are the abundance of all supply. You are the satisfaction for everything that we need. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to just celebrate that wonderful truth, the, the, the wonderful reality that not only do you know us, but Lord, that we know you. And that Lord, we can serve as your agents, as your gospel agents to a world, Lord, that is longing for your hope, that is starving, that there are so many sheep out there, Lord, looking for the shepherd. We pray that you would lead us to them. Lead us to them, Lord. And help us to lead them to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, our good shepherd. Amen.